I, I will happily admit on air that I'm an Elon Musk hater. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I think I think he's got great salesmanship, and that's where it ends. Um, the Tesla is a mediocre <laughs> iPad attached to mediocre car, and try to change my mind on it. Hello there, listener, and welcome to the fourth roundtable of the Metacast, the show in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by some familiar voices. We have Abhimanyu Kumar, Matej Lancharic, and Florian Ziegler. How are you guys doing? Awesome. What is up? <laughs> <laughs> I just I just figured out that I will, I will start wearing glasses from next week, so I already feel like... 150 years older than <laughs> 10 minutes ago so it's uh <laughs> that's okay man uh, like most of us will get there at some point um so anyway in today's roundtable episode we are discussing first what hd and console developers can learn from mobile first-time user experience we'll also be talking about cloud gaming and the potential of massive interactive live events and then finally, we are discussing the newest trends in the ad creatives space. And we're also, again, including a bonus segment. We had some, uh, I had some positive messages about the one we did last week where we pitched some games, which was awesome. Um, but today we're not pitching so games. Really, we are playing a game. Uh, we are not pitching games. Yeah, that's, that's next time you're on, Matei, <sighs> uh, get ready. Uh, but anyway, today we are playing overrated, underrated. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, whatever that means. This is going to be we'll, we'll, overrated. Yeah. Um, we'll get, we'll get right. into the rules later, right, for this game. I think rules might be important. For <laughs> <this> <laughs> <one>. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Anyway, so um, in last week's bonus segment, Jan convinced me to play Hades, mm. a game where you hack and slash your way through different parts of hell in order to break free from the grip of your father, Hades. Um, and I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed by the game. It's, um, it's super well-designed. Uh, it's super fun. It's really a blast, and it has a ton of variety and a lot of replayability. So, in conclusion, I played it way too much over the past week, <laughs> but I I'm, uh, I did manage to beat it with every weapon. So I, I defeated the end boss, and so this segues us nicely into our first topic: first time user experience. Because uh, when you start Hades, uh, it immediately drops you into the game, into the dungeon, uh, where you immediately get to you know kill some creeps and try out all the movements all the different attacks and like there's no not like not one second of boredom you're immediately dropped into the action and so this was in in stark contrast to another game i recently started playing which is mass effect 1 uh, just like aaron i decided to give it a try with the legendary edition and so when you start that game you first have to make a bunch of decisions about your character uh, without having any clue what those decisions might mean for the rest of the rest of the game. And then you get dropped into a spaceship where you have to have a minute-long dis discussions and, and conversations with the whole crew before you finally get to see some action. And so I've played that game for about an hour and uh, I haven't touched it since. That being said, I'm a, I'm a gameplay kind of guy, so I usually actually skip all dialogues and cutscenes uh, as fast as I can. But I do feel that developers can do a better job of minimizing or optimizing the so-called time to fun. And so that's what I'd like to talk about today. And so Florian, as our in-house game designer, I'd like to have your thoughts on some of the best practices in the space that you see when it comes to uh, first-time user experience. Uh, thanks, Nicola. Yeah, I mean, I could literally talk about first-time user experiences for ages, particularly because I moved from the HD and console space to mobile. And you know, one of the key differences is as a HD developer, um, by the time the player goes into the game and, and reaches the moment of fun, they've already they're already invested, right? You already have their money, which is quite quite an important part. Whereas in a free to play game, you need to convince the player that this is worth their time. So as as a result, every every player counts, um, and you're trying to get as many players in as you can and you get as many players to the best moments of the game as you can, as quickly as you can. And um, that forces on you, and uh, I, I know that if any, any HD designers here are listening out, uh, out there, they'll probably uh, sit on the edge of their chair now, but I think free-to-play games makes you a better designer in some ways because you can't get away with subpar gameplay or boring sequences because you don't have anyone's money yet. And... Um, 
as a result, a lot of the uh, the traditional um, video games, the initial experience is more a question of does it represent my sense of awesomeness of the game on on a sort of author level? Like, is it grand? Is it you know? Is it get me excited? And did it have enough explosions for the CEO to sign off on it? And that's simply the mo- the main focus. And then usually as an afterthought, people open, go like, oh my God, we're one month from release and we still haven't got a tutorial, which is basically a chore that every player has to complete to understand the game. So there is some improvement in, in the HD and console space on these in these things, but they're not quite there where mobile is yet, um, purely because we've optimized this for, well, over a decade now, I guess. <laughs> and most importantly, we use a lot of data and, and the use of of data as a means to determine how well players get through experience is still a bit underdeveloped even in in the big console studios. Manu, what are your thoughts? Um, I guess like more as a point of, you know, appreciation. One thing that I do find really good in in, uh, HD and console uh, game for twoies is essentially, you know, it's treated as more of an art form over there. And therefore, you know, on average, the Fatuis are way more engaging versus in uh, free-to-play. And it comes back to this point of you get them, you already have the money uh, beforehand versus, you know, you have to like get them mm-hmm. to the core of things quite quickly in mobile. But I've also seen like mobile games, like free-to-play mobile games that have also found this right balance between, you know, optimizing towards data in terms of the first time user experience funnel, but also still keeping it as, you know, an artistic uh, expression also, and therefore, you know, resulting in even engagement, even in the Fatui. For example, actually the cap that I'm wearing and the logo on it, this game that I worked on, uh, Zombie Gunship, I think, yeah, this did achieve that balance between you know the artistic uh, expression and the metrics because basically the game is you know you're in this you're basically in a zombie infested world and uh, you are the pilot of one of these american helicopters with you know a big machine gun in it and you have that like black and white view from the top and you're basically mowing down and gunning down zombies throughout the game in different levels um you're basically, you're kind of like navigating or like protecting a ship to reach its harbor. And then suddenly the ship gets infested with zombies. And it's this very rich narrative experience. But you also get to experience the core fun right at the start. So in terms of this time to fun thing, the time to fun is already hit in the first time user experience. But it also has this like artistic expression. And... I've actually not seen like too many mobile free-to-play games that <laughs> that actually do that. But yeah, curious to hear, you know, Florian's thoughts also. I guess like some games are not, they're not like fertile enough for achieving that kind of a balance. But some games are on mobile. I, I think you can say this really, really well when you look at Call of Duty on mobile. Um, not mm. not that it has the perfect FTE, um, but most of the, the shooter games on mobile, they had to adapt a lot of things and if you compare this with you know the the hd console versions of these they now usually usually they just dump you right into the action in some shape or form in recent years but there's still a lot of kind of roundabout stuff of like you know you have to go through a menu and like the the experience isn't as tailored to you as it would be in a lot of mobile games where you know they don't explain so much about the game to you just go like hey we teach you the minimum viable but the experience you have, like the box in which you play, is a lot more forgiving, right? So if you if you jump on the any of the um, kind of battle royale style shooters, your first matches are going to be bots, but they're presented as humans, so you're you're almost guaranteed your chicken dinner the first time around, all these kind of things. And and I think this is still something that the HD realm can improve on, because what you don't see in the HD market is the people you failed to actually uh, excited about the game and be a future customer right so if i go in there now and uh, and and buy a game and i've upfronted the money and i i'm invested in it so i'm putting up with whatever shit you throw at me for a while i might you know you dump into multiplayer and i go and get ganked by a bunch of 15 year olds and i will never play this game again because i will only appear in the statistic of an hd game as someone who's bought it and maybe i look at it as like oh you know 
they've never completed it but they don't they don't look really much into the data of, of why whereas in mobile you look a lot into like hey this person we lost at this point you know what behavior did they have what, what kind of ads did they come in from so we so we have a lot more opportunity to actually go like hey you know can my mom play this game yes or no which, which is something that you you kind of don't have to do or can't really do uh, when you're on a, on a classical premium game just uh, one quick comment like it's great that you mentioned the data and everything what kind of data are you taking into consideration where you are thinking about the FTUE on, on mobile I mean you ma- you mentioned that uh, Kenny my mom played the game but what what else I mean I I would look at the funnel like a super detailed funnel so um, you know where have they come in from and then what's their first action what's the second action option oh uh, you know between getting this screen and this tap we lost we lost a lot of users why is that can we optimize this because again you know it determines the success of our game overall which is not the case if you already have the money so and i would as much as possible depends a bit on how how quickly your game opens up in in many player options but i would keep that going as long as possible and later on you can usually already tell whether someone like oh this is a competitive player or like this is a player who already knows how to play this game or this is a player who you know who's come from a game space that is not for example first person shooters and we're dropping all of these, what can we do to make them like it, you know? Um, okay, that's interesting. And are, are you also making a different FTUEs for uh, different personas? Yeah, oh, that, nice. that's actually, I think, another another big difference, right? Well, like in, in most premium games, you're stuck with a one-size-fits-all tutorial or, or FTUE, except for you go like, oh, you know, are you a hardcore game already? Like sometimes you get those pop-ups, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, do we need to skip the explanations? But I, I mean... In the past, whenever possible, my FTVs have been highly tailored, as in, oh, okay, cool, you, you're probably this kind of player. Let's make this a bit easier for you, because in the end, we, we care just about whether you enjoy the game and you had a stick for us. So if you have an, an easy entry than everyone else, that's fine, right? And they're, they're like, I feel like there are really two vectors on that one. No, <clears throat> At least in the old world before IDFA, there was this... There's one vector, which is the marketing vector. So you're already creating personas over there and acquiring. And therefore, you could tailor some of the content of the game experience in specific kinds of games to that kind of an audience. And then you have the second vector, which is once they're actually in the gameplay, while they're going through that funnel, you can basically then tailor things like, okay, what should the difficulty of the next level be? you know, versus how, how they kind of played through the first level. So they're really like, yeah, it's two vectors I felt of, uh, you know, this personalization and optimization there. But now with IDFA in the picture, I'm not even sure about like how Oof, the marketing I, I side really, can be used. I really thought you will say privacy first world. I actually stopped myself from saying that after the last episode. <laughs> I already had the, a, a drink and I was looking at Florian and I was like, damn it. <laughs> Privacy first world. <laughs> really, we have to find a new, new, new buzzword yeah. to drink to. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. One thing that like really irks me is, you know, when you look at all these match three games and they all have like the same storyline, there's some grandmother somewhere, either she died or she's like too tired and, you know, and then the daughter or the son is, and it's usually a daughter is, you know, she's inheriting the house. She's, you know, taking over the cafe and it's just like the same storyline in the Fatui. It's literally car- a carbon copy. So if it works so well, maybe we should put it on Call of Duty HD <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's like, that's really where I feel that, you know, that whole artistic balance on the HD console side, that's where it like truly shines also, where first time user experiences are pretty distinct, even in like the same genre. I don't know why, um, Mobile has not really adapted that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel from a, a personal point of view that to, to give an example, so the the Mass Effect one that I played, if they would have made the FTOE better, like I would get more involved in the game in the storyline, and I'd probably be still playing it right now. Um, and so I feel like for like as a AAA developer, when you just sell titles, standalone titles. It's still something to keep in mind. Like even if a player bought, you still want them to buy your next game. So you still want them to enjoy the current game, uh, and that means making sure that they, you know, get like they invest the time to get a certain kind of skill set. Because I feel for a lot of games, you need to spend a little bit of time before you really start yeah. enjoying uh, the core gameplay when you get the hang of it, etc. 
All right, let's uh, let's move on to the to the next topic. Uh, just one I'm pretty excited about. So um, this is about cloud gaming. So cloud gaming, quick definition is defined as playing a game where all the computation and rendering is happening within the cloud, and only the resulting video is actually streamed to the user. And so much has been said about cloud gaming, but there are many reasons why the idea of playing photorealistic games on your grandmother's laptop might actually never become a thing. There's uh, still quite a lot of limitations that uh, that hold that back. Uh, but we're not going to go into that here. And if you want to learn more about this topic, I highly recommend the piece that Matthew Ball wrote on, on his website. Um, it's called Cloud Gaming, Why It Matters and the Games It Will Create. Um, and it's a great read. Um, I'd like to start this discussion by touching upon the essay that Matt Dion wrote um, about miles for the last Master of the Meta. And so what is a mile? A mile is a massive interactive live event. Very shortly, it's a gaming genre where a large number of players is interacting and participating in the same gaming simulation. And so a typical example that's being used is some kind of Hunger Games where many individuals together manage a small number of AI-driven participants in the arena in the Hunger Games. And so there's, there have been some mildly successful first iterations of this concept, but I personally believe that this genre will be big in the future. But that being said, what do I know? <laughs> so um, I, uh, <laughs> I'd like to have the views of uh, Florian, um, the game designer on this, um, if, if this type of concept excites him or not. So what do you think, it Florian? It does excite me, but I think less from a sort of games business perspective. So I'm obviously, as a game designer, always keen on like, you know, any new type of interaction, any new way to make humans connect and have fun together is always exciting. It's always cool. Um, and, and I love this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was part of, of Place, the, the little um, kind of uh, Reddit exploration uh, where everyone puts down a pixel and that kind of stuff. And, and what comes out of it is really cool. And you can see a lot about human behavior. But I think as in, you know, the article is kind of like, oh, you know, there's going to be like some new business opportunities. And I, I actually don't really agree with this, uh, or at least I, I can't see them for now. And the reason for that is I think that games are fantasies of agency most of the time, meaning that generally when I when I when I play a, a video game I don't sign up for minimal agency I mean there is genres that do that but it's a very selective type of game um you know even sort of like big large-scale phenomena like Pokemon Go or whatever uh, they don't live from the fact that there's like millions of people doing a thing it, it still lives off the individual agency that I can go and do anything I want just with other people and so these kind of like miles they're more a genre to me like an FPS you know, rather than some great technical enabler to new kind of games business type. So if you enjoy cat herding people into a desired outcome, then that's your game type, right? That's your, like, you're a mild player. This is what you what you do. You know, just like some people, and I think they're actually quite related, uh, clum sims. So clum sims are clumsy sims. Like, uh, you know, um, <laughs> like there are some studios that, so that okay. specialize on these. Um, uh, like the Surgeon game, for example. I forgot the, the full name. But basically where you're a surgeon that is so badly controllable that you constantly uh, butcher the people you kind of work on. And it was like sort of an indie hit or like where you're a piece of bread and you're falling on your face and like uh, a flappy bird is probably also an example mm. almost. Where like the joy is that you're not in control of the outcome and it makes it funny, but it's a very distinct experience rather than sort of an, an overall novelty to the games mm. market in, in, in my opinion. It's kind of like you're trying to control the lack of control <laughs> yeah, mm. in a way, in, at least in flappy bird, but yeah. Yeah, and what what you see in 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 most of these uh, games that are out there, you know, or in, in experiences like Place, is that you get community leaders. And I think this is where it gets interesting, right? Because social experience in games only have pull when you can be a valued member, either as a contributor or as a leader, right? If if your system is devoid of that, people will try to shoehorn this externally, right? So you get people, hey, we found a subreddit that's team green, and we try to make everything green, or like, hey, let's try to build a Mona Lisa, and like. But that's actually ironically not part of the mm. game system. So people have to look for that externally. And I, I think the larger scale you make these with like millions of people, the less likely it's going to be that you create a true community feel uh, with, with the respective leaders and contributors that feel like they're actually part of something bigger. And, and these things just bubble up and then fall apart again. Hmm. I tend to look at it from the other perspective. So you look at it from, you know, would a gamer enjoy this? 
Um, the way I, I try to look at this is, for me, it's it's not necessarily a substitute for games. It's more of a substitute for Temptation Island or, or Big Brother or something like that. Where, you know, you're, you're looking at something, you're looking at some people doing things, uh, you get involved in a way. Um, and this is just an extra layer of involvement on top where you can influence, uh, let's say you put... 10 random people in inside a house and then you can have people vote on whatever happening like whatever challenges they have to do um and a lot of stuff and i feel like there might be a very big potential genre but i just don't know if, if it's going to be successful where i think this stuff gets really interesting so i've been geeking out for a couple of years on sort of like future governance and like the future of democracy for a bit and i i think what these experiences can do you know how technology doesn't always at, advanced the field is already incepted for and this might be i think one of these things um you know the internet being one of the examples you know where it, it turned out something else that we expected and i think it's the same the same with these kind of like massively interactive experiences where i think maybe it will sort of help us get ideas about how can we participate in society on a massive larger scale because in, in that in that setup in a democratic setup i've already signed up for minimal agency so unlike a game i said to start where their fantasy of agencies with, with a gov system of governments, that's not the case. And um, when you kind of think that, you know, Starbucks gives you 19,000 ways to customize your latte and everything tailors itself to the user on the internet, but in parties, I can't, in a party system, I can't do that, right? Because, you know, if I say I agree with the, you know, the gun policy of the conservatives in the US, but the environmental policy of the Democrats, I'm, I have to swallow one toad or the other. And I think these kind of massive scale collaborative experiences where we develop new ways of actually interacting with each other, forming groups and um, creating consensus and stuff. I think this is where these, where this space is really, really super interesting. And I'm expecting a lot more to come out of miles in that direction rather than in this sort of business direction. Yeah. So I, I had, I wanted to like touch on two points. So the first is uh, what Florian said about, I, I forget how you framed it, but you framed it really well about how games are about agency, right? And I think what we're seeing with Rival Peak, it like, it underscores this point. So, like, I've been playing Rival Peak for, for a while. And even though the game gets, like, pretty decent viewership, they have these episode releases with Will Wheaton where he kind of, like, goes over, you know, what kind of happened in the in the past uh, week or something. And those those episodes, you know, they, they're averaging, like, you know, uh, between 12 to 15 million views per episode so like all those there's there's good engagement there but the game itself is actually oh. not seeing very high engagement and it comes back to what Florian was talking about with agency and it's interesting because Genvid also realized this you realize it instantly with the gameplay and then they started adding things like okay Let's add like an achievement system for, you know, these viewers. They even added like a match three uh, mini game and like, you know, some memory mini games because the waiting time between the votes was like too long. They also introduced uh, this thing called uh, tributes. So, you know, a lot of non-core almost paraphernalia around <laughs> the core experience just to like keep the engagement going. So yeah, so just like you know, I think it does really underscore Florian's point. But that said, I also feel yeah, Rival Peak for me it's really just like a proof of concept, and just off this idea of you know miles. So mm -hmm. there, there are like a couple of other you know interesting companies mm -hmm. that are doing some interesting things using Genvid's engine. The one thing with Rival Peak is that there's the game, and there's the viewer. Of the game right and the game kind of just plays itself so like one mm -hmm. key vector in this is the actual player that you can add in it because right now you have in like in streaming games you have the video the stream itself but you also you have the player that's actually playing the game to create the stream and then you have the viewers right and in rival peak it's just the game stream and the viewers who are also kind of the players but it's really the ai that's the players so i feel if, if you actually add this vector in which is you know have like this player in between and then you add a second vector of interactivity between the game the viewer and the player kind of creating like this <clears throat> three-way tri-directional you know conversation of interactivity that opens up 
a lot of other interesting possibilities uh, in the space. For example, there's this one game called Dead House Sonata. It's by Apocalypse Studios. And and they're also like using Genvid's, uh, you know, Genvid's uh, game engine. And basically what it is, is that it's an it's an action RPG. And Genvid's technology, you know, uh, allows the allows the viewers of the game to actually uh, impact the live gameplay that, you know, the streamer is streaming. For example, like, you know, imagine imagine that the streamer is kind of like fighting off a horde of enemies uh, in an action RPG. But the game environment also contains these fire traps. But the special thing about the fire traps is that they can only be activated by the audience. So the viewers. So how this ends up playing out is it's it's kind of like in the streamer's interest to play with the audience because, you know, the game's difficulty could ramp up in terms of the enemies. And the streamer then has like a collaboration with the audience to augment his in-game power in a way by running to the fire trap, then telling his audience on the live stream, guys, activate the fire trap now. And then they activate it. And then, you know, together the player and the viewers beat the enemies or win the game uh, like that. So, I mean, you guys should like check out the YouTube video uh, mm. of yeah, this. This sounds it's, actually it's, really interesting. The rival yeah, it's peak, pretty, pretty uh, interesting and really felt like very, very brilliant. And there's this other company in, um, I think in Helsinki uh, and they're called uh, Black Block and they are, they're creating this game called Retroid again with Genvid's uh, technology and that's like this persistent connected social MMO where imagine like you're playing you're in a GTA kind of world but then all the viewers can you know affect your actions uh, in the game and you're you're a car character in this game and you're just like driving the car around this GTA world but then the viewer decides to throw this like massive football in the middle of the road and then you kind of have to like navigate (laughs) around it in a way so the reason this is really interesting and why I called it this you know try a three-way tri-directional con- uh, conversation is because streaming till now, it's primarily one-directional, right? The streamer streams, the viewer views, very, very passive. But what this, you know, Genvid's technology, which is based on on cloud, cloud tech, what it unlocks is interactivity in that stream and therefore interactive streaming and therefore, you know, interactive gameplay with that, which the audience can actually impact. So yeah, so I feel like I see like kind of three evolutions happening uh, in uh, in the space. One is the viewers of the stream basically become both active, but there will also be like passive viewers. But you know, they there will al- now also be active viewers. The player kind of becomes this third actor between the game, the viewers, and then there is this player, and then. Game design evolutions, like how I explained with Dead House, Sonata, or with Retroid, these game design evolutions kind of drive both these other points also. So yeah, so that that's how I kind of like see the space evolving, and and then you know, I mean, yeah, we could get into like how the monetization actually then works for all these three different things. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Like, how would you monetize this? So it's kind of like, um, yeah, ex- wait, exactly. Wait. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I have, I have an answer. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, but um, <laughs> let, let me, let me give you like a few examples. So, do you guys know uh, Code Miko? So, Code Code Miko is like this. She's a streamer. She's a real person, but she also has like, she's basically like created a rig for her in Unreal Engine, and oh. she has a mocap suit on, and therefore, what is actually streamed is her virtual character. And when she's streaming on Twitch, there is, uh, there's the Twitch bits mm. currency, right? And the Twitch bits mm. currency basically is allowed to, you know, you can, you know, you can cheer your streamer, mm-hmm. etc. But how okay. she's connected it is she's taken Twitch bits and depending on how many bits are given, her environment in Unreal Engine changes. changes. So, okay. so there's definitely like that kind of a monetization layer that can exist mm. with the viewers and, you know, mm-hmm. the actual player, even, even in this space. Um, so the interesting thing there is though, right? Because as soon as you're selling me a a mass participation experience that I can influence, right? That by its very nature is kind of very democratic, right? So unlike a, a mobile game, I play along with others and maybe only in, in a competition or whatever, I find out that someone's paying to be better than me. 
if your favorite TV show can be altered or trumped or the, the crowd overruled by someone paying, I, I think you get exactly what you don't want, which is that people people lose the sense of escapism. It becomes this sort of like, um, oh, someone just came in and just paid for to overrule me with money on my downtime. You know, I, I think I think it's going to be really, really tricky to monetize this for anything else other than like sort of pure mm-hmm. cosmetics where maybe you you can't alter the story, you can't alter the happenings, but you can change the shirt of the guy or something if you if you're willing to kind of like splash some money. Yeah, yeah, it could. I mean, yeah, maybe it is just like a cosmetics economy. And but yeah, it's like this is one way, you know, that it uh, could be done. And then, I mean, I don't know. Then you have like, you know, I'm sure like people will come up with advertising based uh, monetization oh, yeah, yeah, inside these experiences, etc. So there will be, you know, uh, monetization channels that uh, that will evolve over here. But at the end of the day, you know, all that monetization can only be built on engagement. And when the engagement is strong, then you know, people will figure out the monetization. Oh, yeah, and and yeah, like I feel like you could even take this to the next level. Like, you know, what would this model kind of look at, look like in an esports world? Imagine like you have the teams playing, then you have kind of like the spectators sitting in the stadium, but then you also have like the viewers sitting at mm-hmm. home. And could there be like a pretty interesting dynamic of the spectators affecting gameplay? of the teams like okay like you know it's an esport and everything so it'll, it'll probably be this like is, this is currently being made this is actually <laughs> currently being made okay but yeah that that could be like pretty interesting what if you could like customize the viewing experiences for the viewers like you know like how you have it in like these uh, actual sports games like you get this camera view and this eagle view and all these different views but you could also do it in games and i feel like you could even take it this to the next level where it's not like the viewers and the spectators only impacting the player in the game, but what if the viewers and the spectators are also having a conversation or influential conversation between themselves, you know? Again, kind of coming to like what Florian was saying about the democracy point that he was talking about. So that could also be like another conversation that could happen. But yeah, this is this is just me like dreaming, but uh, <laughs> I feel <laughs> it all feels like mm-hmm. viable opportunity areas yeah and so what kind of companies do you think will jump on this miles bandwagon most successfully and how do you think they'll will they monetize this concept i think it's because if one builds an audience and fandom then miles unlocks the opportunity to monetize that and monetize that in an interactive streaming environment which could not have existed without cloud tech Uh, you know things like key viewer information or customizable viewing experiences, all of that could be put behind a paywall or be paid for by a sponsor or IP holder or even monetized through ads. And then as soon as you get into, you know, trying to monetize the interactivity between the game, the streamer and the viewer, then it opens up the possibility of microtransactions, you know, like we discussed uh, in CodeMiko's example. But what else is important to remember is that you know, Miles stands for Massively Interactive Live Events and a subset of that will be Massively Interactive Live Games like we've been discussing uh, here. So in a broader business sense, Miles might actually play out a little bit closer to, you know, a, a new form of online event or even TV show and, you know, not just games. And this is similar to what Nico was saying earlier. It feels far more likely that a Netflix, for example, you know, adopts Miles before any big game publishers uh, would. And then from a business model perspective, a Netflix would simply wrap that experience into its existing subscription, right? And then ROIs are calculated on a more portfolio level uh, versus, you know, looking at individual games or experiences. So overall, a very, very exciting space. And, you know, I'm quite enthusiastic about how Miles actually broadens the definition of cloud gaming while it also unlocks this future of uh, interactive streaming. You know, as soon as I hear cloud gaming, I am always skeptical. Mm-hmm. About this too, uh, Matej? I had the phrase. Okay, but not necessarily Miles and what, what no, Manu was describing? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, okay. No, just uh, in general. I think we could, we could have a discussion yeah. if this Miles <laughs> thing is actually cloud gaming or not. But um, let's keep it at that and let's uh, move on to the, to the last topic of today. And, and that will be 
the um, ads creatives. So I don't know if you guys remember, but in our second roundtable episode, I, uh, I told the guys here that I was building a game, starting a game studio. And so, um, yeah, I'm still doing that. I've now made, I'm, I'm pretty much in at the final stages of, of building my game. I'm very fast, it took me two weeks. And so now I want to make some, some kick-ass ads for it. Uh, and I've hired a very expensive specialist to help me with this. And he suggested the following steps when it comes to ad creation is first competitor research, then brainstorming, then the production, testing, and then the evaluation. But I, I have a specialist consulting me, but I think Matei knows way more than, than him. So uh, <laughs> Matei, please, can you, <laughs> can you help me out here? Uh, can you talk to me about the, the newest trends in the ad creative space? Uh, and maybe start with uh, the competitor research. Yeah, first of all, I think uh, this is the, the pretty good process for uh, building creatives. I use it as well. So kudos to to your guy. He definitely knows what he's talking about, or she, he or she is talking <laughs> I'll, about. I'll let him know. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Regarding the the competitor research, so um, well, let me give you a bit of a context. So I was. Uh, just casually browsing Instagram very recently over the weekend. And um, I saw one ad, I think it was uh, from Playrix uh, for Township. And then after viewing some other like store Instagram stories, I, I saw another ad which was completely the same as the, the previous creative for Township, but it was for a different game. So I recorded that video and I think uh, maybe Nico, you can post the link in the show notes for that post so everybody can, mm -hmm. sh can see that because I was just kind of puzzled how can like big companies like copying the the smaller companies ads I mean I know like there was a uh, the time when uh, everybody was using fake ads and uh, you know using um, the companies were inspired by hyper casuals you know new versus pro everybody was using that mm -hmm. but now now the the production is is going to to like high quality I think, but I, I just can't understand why we, when you're doing the competitor research, I mean, you're doing the competitor research just to, to have an inspiration or idea. Mm -hmm. It's like what is working for, for the companies uh, you're comp competing with, but not like to copy the ad one to one. I mean, guys, have you, see, have you seen this as well on, um, in, the, in the landscape as well, Manu Florian, when you're browsing the Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever? Yeah, like like the ad ad copies. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That I see that I see that all the time. And yeah, I guess yeah. Like if it works, it works, and everyone just kind of you know does it. But yeah, I mean we we've seen these like pull the pin ads all over again. Hero Wars, mm -hmm. uh, Playrix, like millions millions of games. Then you know we we saw cheating men, pregnant women, and old ladies. You know, <laughs> like you said previously, and I mean. This is is this something that uh, we really want to see in the in the space? I mean, I'm not sure like how this will evolve, but for example, I've been hearing this and like well, words on the street, let's say that way, from different sides. It's basically in Q3 or four, Facebook will uh, will ban the, the fake ads. Not sure if that's mm. uh, that's true or not. When I was uh, asking my my Facebook contact, he said like I can't confirm or deny this. So I guess something is happening actually on this front. <laughs> so I guess the games have also like kind of uh, already like maybe circumvented that potential problem that might occur because now you also see like the Playrix games implementing the the fake ad game as in a mini the game, game. Yeah, as a yeah. mini game. Yeah. So I mean, there's, there's whole games that use these as there's actually like the pin games. I think a reasonably successful like premium puzzle game now. Mm, okay. So, so they're actually good for something, these ads. Like people yeah, just, yeah. Uh... yeah I, I think there was also like this, uh, there was an ad that was something about, you have to like save, save a girl from, you know, catching fire or like falling into a pit with spikes or something. And I think Applovin actually created a full game out of that. I think it was from Lion Studios. <laughs> and that was also like in the top charts and everything. And... I mean, yeah, I, I think maybe we discussed this in the previous conversation or like you guys discussed it in a previous podcast where it was um, how creatives are also used for like game concept testing. And this is this is basically <laughs> uh, what happened here. What I'm what, what I'm kind of curious, actually, uh, I've been wondering about that for a while, but I've actually never bothered to ask anyone 
you know, like in in the in the browser game days, like the ads to get people into browser games got like worse and worse and worse until like you know, like it would just be like the closest thing to pornography people could get away with. Do you actually mm. think that like we're gonna get the same in the same kind of um, space with the kind of mobile ads, where like we we're, we're kind of scraping the bottom of what is still acceptable? Well, I think we we are there already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe I mean, maybe I'm not looking at them enough often enough. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> you're not uh, casually browsing the Instagram that often, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, what I've been seeing recently in, in like in terms of creatives, it's uh, ridiculous. But I always like crazy ideas and I always use them and test them out. But sometimes, just uh, like you said, it's just the bottom of everything. I mean. Obviously, if that works and if that catches your attention and then you install the game and then you actually um, pay in the game, okay. But uh, I don't know. I was so surprised seeing this and uh, I wasn't the only one. I mean, the, the, the LinkedIn post actually got pretty a huge amount of comments of, uh, of other people from the, from the industry and everybody was like, oh yeah, well, copying is easy. <laughs> and, which is true. I mean, if you, if you need to create the... Like, a good idea, it takes time, resources, and you need to brainstorm your shit out of your heads. And it's just really tough to, to create a, a good one. And that's why also like, uh, you know, Lily's Garden with all the, the sad advertising, sad advertising. And then they came up with this pretty successfully. And then afterwards, uh, I think players started copying them as well. So, you know, now it's pretty hard to come up with something something new, which uh, will work. Can I ask you another thing, Matei? Of course. <laughs> Do you actually ever do the same thing we do inside the games where we actually start sort of like dynamic changes? As in like, for example, you'd run the same ads, but depending on, you know, what you know about someone about like, I don't know, how you can apply sort of political agencies or ethnicity on these things, whether you sort of then dynamically change the exact kind of expression of the ad? Yeah, so basically um, with the... The regular types of campaigns, for example, on Facebook, you can tie the, the targeting to, to the creative pretty well easily and successfully. With the, the new type of like automated app ads, when you, everything is automatic and you don't have uh, any targeting options, not even like age segments or gender, it's kind of tough. But of course, like different um, creative types or concepts um, target uh, different audiences as well. So, you know, it's you can do that, but it's like, on the on the back end right right but you wouldn't do like the same ad with like micro changes depending on so to give you a, a context when i try when i'm uh, testing the ads um, and creatives and i find a winner then obviously i want to you know iterate on the winner and try to do some changes sometimes it's micro changes but oftentimes are like a bigger changes to get better results obviously something that i found pretty interesting with ads and kind of like this creative strategy so two companies I found very interesting. One is King, who have clearly stated that they will not be scraping from that bottom. You know, mm -hmm. brand is king for them. And yeah, brand is king. Good But yeah, you know, they will, they will never like, yeah, they'll never like scrape from that bottom. But then the other interesting company is what you said, uh, Lily's Garden and Tactile Games, where... Yeah, people call it advertising, but I would almost like call it just emotional marketing. Yep. And so to go back a little bit and why I feel like this is quite important, at least how we kind of saw how advertising evolved in tech when computers just kind of like came out and, you know, there were advertisements in the newspaper and stuff about computers. It was all about this computer has this much of RAM and this much of a hard disk and this big of a screen. And it was all like this feature tech specs things, you know, just a list of it. And consumers were expected to understand this and then make the purchase. But then how it evolved, Apple started advertising based on selling the brand and what Apple stands for, you know, like think different. And then people didn't even care about what the specs are. They just wanted to be, wanted to be associated with think different because they think different. So basically like, you know, trying to find this match between the creative and the persona. And I feel games advertising is also kind of like is evolving in this direction. And it is shown with uh, tactile games, you know, like how they marry the creative team efforts with the product team efforts. And, you know, they actually think about 
narrative beats for their advertising. Uh, they think about personas and then, you know, they create advertisements that, yeah, they they could be like, you know, something like, you know, the woman gets pregnant and then the guy who got her pregnant runs away and whatnot. Sure. But honestly, those are those are not the only advertisements that are working for tactile. They also just have yep. like less raunchy adverti- advertisements that also work, you know. So I, I, I feel like this is also kind of like talking about the future. I feel this is one a larger trend that I see. Uh, but I don't know. Curious to hear your thoughts also. Yeah, it's also yeah. It's it's always about the, like understanding the target audience and the creatives are about emotions. I mean, and it depends on the the audience, of course. Like if uh, you have male audience, well, you are probably going for a humor or funny and um, ads that you know make you laugh and it's like say, oh, this is amazing. Okay, <laughs> let's try this out. Also, when you have female audience, it's definitely different. If you go for humor, well, it's probably not going to work. All right. So basically what you guys are saying is when making ads for my game, I should just look at successful ads from other companies and just copy them <laughs> one-to-one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slightly different Exactly, graphics. exactly that. Understood. <laughs> as long as it works, I'll, I'll do that. Damn, looks looks like Nico has bad advisors. <laughs> yeah, if my game's unsuccessful, I'll, uh, I'll be coming to you guys to complain. Uh, but that brings us to our final bonus segment. Overrated, underrated. This is the first time we're doing this. No idea how this is going to go, but I think it should be fun. So I'm going to call out a term, and I think one by one you guys can uh, can give your opinions. Well, you can either say if you think it's underrated or overrated. So let's start with, I don't know, a, a normal one. Let's start with Matei. So gaming chairs. <laughs> Matei. Uh, overrated. <laughs> I'm waiting for Florian. Overrated. Answer. Florian. <laughs> Neutral. Uh, <laughs> neutral. Okay. Manu. Overrated. Overrated. All right. I know why Manu was like waiting for my answer because like I was looking <laughs> for a decent office chair and it ended up with a gaming chair um, <laughs> because it just happened to mm. be scoring the best in whatever the current test results were. Ooh. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. As yeah. an office chair. So you're saying that they're actually underrated? No, they're probably just an office chair just with a yeah. different branding. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And they look cooler. And they help your gaming. Yeah, my, my gaming has gone through the roof since I had this chair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know, man. No, I specifically mm. sit on this chair to gank 15-year-olds in Call of Duty. That's <laughs> um, all right. So next, underrated, overrated, The Mandalorian, the show. Matei. Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen it. So neutral. Neutral. Right. Yeah. Florian. I also haven't seen it. I also haven't seen it. Ooh. No, Nico, come on. That makes it probably <laughs> overrated. Clearly overrated. <laughs> we haven't seen overrated. it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Especially if you're very advisors and stuff, you know, like, dude. <laughs> I speci- specifically took this because I wanted to get it off my heart that this show is extremely overrated. It's so obvious everything's what's going to happen. And you know what really bothers me? Uh, and it's going to be a short rant, I promise. <laughs> so when there's a hero... And there's enemies and the enemies, they're like, they outnumber the hero like one to 10 or something. And then they decide to go in like one at a time, every time. And this like, really bothers me. You just described series. every action movie. Exactly. And, and so the more this happens, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I, I can't watch the, these types of action movies anymore because it bothers me a lot. All right. Next, overrated, underrated. That, that was my rant. Okay. Uh, I'm good now. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Overrated, underrated, UGC, user generated content. Matei. Overrated. Florian. I see him smile. I think he's opinionated about this. I mean, this is almost worth its own podcast, right? Yeah, um, yeah that's true. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I will say underrated. <laughs> Despite all the hype that surrounds it, because if we if we go by, you know, like how, how we used to have pop stars that kind of came in through whoever curated them to like the internet mm-hmm. that gave us basically everyone who's good with a guitar or a voice will rise to the top. I think we'll have a similar... I'm using this word a lot today, but we have a similar democratization ah. of of the digital content that we had for for these things, and I think that will probably explode even more than it currently does as more people understand how to make games, and it becomes mm. easier for them to make them. So, like YouTube of game making. Yeah, that's the pitch, Nicola. There you go. Investors, Thanks, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Yeah. new company, new company. Yeah. All right. You should stop making games and just do that. All right, Manu. Uh, currently hype, but. Uh, long term underrated 
I would also agree with Florian on everything he said. All right, next. Next overrated, underrated. Tesla, the company. It doesn't have to be gaming related, right? Matej. Uh, overrated. Overrated. Florian. Oh, you're going to get a strong run from me here because I'm, I'm German. You know, we're a car country. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so I'm, I, I will happily admit on air that I'm an Elon Musk hater. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I, think, I think he's got great salesmanship and that's where it ends. Um, the Tesla is a mediocre <laughs> iPad attached to a mediocre car and try to change my mind on it. Oh, my God. Interesting. Wow. When was the last time you drove a, drove a Tesla? I, I, I do have friends who have them and... I know it's just a little things, man. It's just like not a quality. It's just like not a quality thing. Um, Fair enough. You know, again, uh, maybe have a different idea of what what makes a great car. Um, but uh-huh. I might eat my words. You know, uh, maybe it's more about how many people can get one versus Mercedes or whatever. Just being late to the party with electromobility. You never know. Mm. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 okay with whatever rage storm will erupt from this. So, all right, Manu, probably overrated on the car. On the company, I don't know yet. <laughs> but, yeah. Cool. All right. And then uh, let's go for the last one. Mm. Overrated, underrated. Call of Duty. Matej. Yeah. Well, again, overrated, I guess. There's a lot of sighing coming from yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, why is it overrated? Tell me. Uh, it's a, uh, Yeah, overrated for me. I'm, I mean, I played it for like 20 minutes, so I don't have probably the best opinion, but it just... Yeah, doesn't click with me. Fair enough, Florian. You know what? I th- I think it's just just right in the middle because mm. Call of Duty just is. You know, it's it's to gaming what mm. bread is to food. It's just will always be there as it is, and it's it's just the reference. It's yeah. just it's just it is. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same here. It's oh, of course. Just right. Yep. Can I do the last uh, overrated underrated? Ooh. Yeah, that's a good idea. Go ahead, Manu. Okay. Nico, overrated or Ooh. underrated? <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> underrated, of course. Yeah, very, very clearly underrated. Okay, you guys are coming back on the podcast. <laughs> All right, very good. With that, very nice, nice and friendly notes. Let's round up the episode. So, uh, dear listener, if you have any more comments, uh, feel free to email them to metacast at navig.co. Or what you could also do is come hang out with me in reason.fm. It's an app from a friend of mine that I've invested in. And it's a place where you can listen to podcasts and talk to the one that made it. So that's where I hang out and listen to podcasts. With that said, I wish you all a very good Friday uh, and then very nice weekend afterwards. Uh, Matej, Florian and Manu, thank you very much for doing this with me. And uh, yeah, let's speak to you later. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.